0: Hello and welcome to this very special episode of My Leeds Story, a podcast series where we meet Leeds alumni around the globe who are doing some wonderful things. This episode I'm joined by trauma surgeon Dr Moez Zaiton. Since graduating from Leeds in 2009, Moez has treated and saved major trauma patients on the front line in Libya and in Iraq. But Moez never expected that he would need to use his specialist skills back home in Manchester. It was two weeks after he return from Mosul that the Manchester Arena attack hit. We started out by asking Moez about that night and how he was able to make a difference. I
1: didn't know about it until the morning after, um so and it happened quite late and I'd, I'd gone to sleep. and um, I was working in a hospital in Manchester right at the time, and so I woke up and saw you know a lot of messages and I'd seen the news and you know, I kind of rushed to work um, because I knew that we'd received some casualties and then basically it was all all hands on deck and, um, you know, I was working in the trauma orthopedic department and what had transpired is overnight, you know, there were, of course, multiple casualties um, and what had happened across Manchester is a lot of patients were directed to different hospitals. And I think there were, if I'm not mistaken, seven or eight hospitals that were involved. The, the type of injuries we'd seen as well, I think that was also a first because I hadn't seen anything like that in the UK before. Um, and the way you treat a lot of these types of injuries, so blasts and shrapnel and uh, you know that, that kind of profile of injuries, I'd never seen it in the UK, but I'd seen it a lot in Libya and I'd seen it in Iraq. And this had happened two or three weeks after I'd just got back from Mosul. And so I'd just come back recently with that experience and I felt that I was able to contribute to a lot of the discussions because the way you manage these patients differs slightly to somebody who may have a broken leg from, from a car accident. For example, um, a shrapnel injury is treated very differently, is considered to be a dirty wound. And so there are there lots of considerations for infection and uh, and all those sorts of things. And so there, there's a slightly different consideration with that, with those type of patients. The, you know, it was such a tragic day to see something like that happen in in Manchester, in my hometown. But I saw the very sort of worst of humanity from that aspect. But on the other side, in the NHS, it it was genuinely probably one of the the best examples or the best days I've seen the NHS function in my career. And I'd probably still say that today. Um, And it was just because of the way that interaction happened, collaboration across multiple hospitals within the region, patients, you know, everything was just sort of dropped to do the best we possibly could for all of these patients. And there was no red tape. There was no um, um, limitation to what we could or couldn't do. And you just had to pick up the phone to directly to another consultant or a senior surgeon at another hospital, explain what was going on. They would come over to your hospital or they would accept the patient straight away. And and everything was just dropped in order to do the best they could on that day for, for this patient. And um, yeah, um, I, was, I was a junior doctor working in the department at the time and
0: um, was involved in some of the discussions and looking after some of the patients on the wards. And I imagine your colleagues were pretty grateful for your input if, if they were aware of where you'd been two weeks earlier
1: yeah I'd like to I mean
0: yeah they, they were aware
1: because I, I mm. couldn't have gone out there and done that type of work without
0: their support so let's go back to where your journey began at Leeds is there anything that kind of stood out um anything that, that you remember from the course which impacted your decisions to go into kind of uh, surgery and ac- acute trauma and things like that
1: yeah um leads on the 10th floor I think it is of the Worsley building they've got the anatomy labs right. and um, they had a great faculty there and um, we did lots of um, dissection um, and um, yeah being able to see sort of specimens firsthand and be able to take part of that, that was sort of my first introduction to surgery, the first time I held a scalpel um, yeah. was during these sessions and um, with my sort of interest in human biology from GCSE and A-level and, and taking that to the next step where, when seeing these specimens and doing anatomy sessions. Um, I think that was a, a really big attraction and and it was by far my sort of strongest subject when I was at medical school. Um, I always excelled particularly in that subject and and it was the only subject I won awards in um, because I, I loved it and um, I, I enjoyed
0: it. So when you graduated you did your foundation years in uh, Lancashire
1: yes two years foundation training and then my second year um was when we sort of decide where to go next in terms of specialty training and career sort of pathway so I'd applied to surgical training at that point I got in um to it was it's a competitive process and I'd sort of been accepted on the program and sort of halfway through that second year um the issues uh, around the Arab Spring came came to light so there were sort of popular uprisings in, first of all, Tunisia, then Egypt, Syria, Yemen and Libya. Um, and my parents are originally from from Libya and a lot of my extended family are from there. And so indirectly, I, you know, sort of became involved in helping with sort of charitable initiatives, sending medical aid. Um, there were a lot of expat Libyan doctors around the UK and um A lot of us, you know, we didn't even know each other, a lot of us beforehand, and then through what was happening in Libya, a lot of us sort of started arranging meetings and helping each other out and collaborating on, um, yeah, just sort of sending um, aid and and helping on the ground. And then some doctors started going out there and actually physically helping on the ground with, um, you know, helping injured civilians and sort of battle medicine and that kind of thing. And so... I was at this sort of Rubicon, you know, of, you know, what, what do I do next? I'm, I'm due to um, start my surgical training, the next step in my career, but I was heavily involved in what was happening there. And, and I didn't think that I was really ready to step onto the surgical training ladder, if you like. So I, I spoke to my program and I said, look, this is what I've been involved in in the last few months. And I'm really passionate about the cause. And I feel like I want to be there and uh, I want to be helping on the ground. And is there a way that um, you could support me with this? And they were really understanding. Um, it only took one email and the um, the health education um, surgical program here in the Northwest. Um, they
0: said, yeah. And, and so you get there, you're, you've had your two years junior doctor training. Yeah. How prepared were you for like what you then were doing once you're out there?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, As a doctor, it's really, really important to know what your limitations are. And, you know, I'd I'd only had two years of junior doctor training. I was capable of doing certain things. I was capable of managing trauma patients, first aid um, and, um, you know, stabilizing patients and and very minor procedures. So the profile of the patients and the type of casualties we receive is is definitely very different Um, and um, Working in war zones, these in, in several different places that, that that I've worked, you 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 may work out there for a period, and the the pattern from from my limited experience out there is, you will always get, you know, it, these kind of like uh, bullet injuries or shrapnel injuries or explosions and things like that, but they tend to come in waves, and so you could have periods actually when you're out there when you, you know you are not very busy at all. Um, but all of a sudden, when, when you know, it hits the fan, um, you you will get multiple casualties and then you have mass triage exercises and you need all hands on desk, decks. And so, um, yeah, I think that that profile is probably quite different to, to what you see here because you very quickly receive a lot of patients that overwhelm the resources that you have available to you and you have to make very quick decisions. And so there's a lot of... Um, uh, training and discussions that ongoing, which I, I try to, when I, when I'm out there, try to, um, you know, run practice drills and things like that, because, um, when it comes to it, when you have a mass casualty event, um, which I've seen two or three of, um, it, it really does require, um, a very streamlined, uh, focused team sort of mentality to try and do the best for the greatest number of patients nothing can prepare you for that um that's the fact of life and the fact of working in those environments you're you're not going to be fully prepared and you're going to come across situations where you don't have everything that you need but you can put the patient at the center of all of that and do the best that you can
0: within those limitations i imagine at the time you kind of think it's You don't think about it too much but when you look back and you think i was 24 like (laughs) absolutely absolutely at the time
1: it it, none of this was a thought in my head at all it was i need to be out there i need to be doing something because if i don't do it who else is going to
0: the things that you see in those kind of mass events um that you mentioned how do you how do you deal with it like mentally for yourself in the heat of the moment you know you you have uh drills you
1: should have policies and specific job roles that are allocated for Uh, specific people on the team. And so um, uh, it's important that everybody knows their roles and responsibilities within those scenarios. And so when you have a mass triage uh, event, like say you you do the greatest good for the greatest number of people, um, I think it's really important to have debriefs afterwards to check in on colleagues, to... Uh, you know, when, when things have settled down to to go over things, what could have been done better, what could have been different done differently, you know, whether we like it or not, um, it does affect us as individuals as well. Um, you can hold a, a brave face and you can, you know, deal with these situations. And often that's what you do. You don't really eff- let it affect you personally at the end of the day as a doctor or as a surgeon, there's a patient at the end of the line. But... Um, whether you like it or not, I think if you were to do that type of work continuously, then yeah, you should be speaking to people about your feelings, about your thoughts. And um, I think that's something that not everyone is um, happy to admit or, or not everyone sort of does that. But uh, I think it's very
0: important. So a few years after returning to the UK, you went out again. Is there an element of like adrenaline and and the excitement of going out there so
1: 2017 um i worked in mosul um with the world health organization um i went out there for a month um to to help out with um you know being a trauma surgeon there there definitely is an element um of adrenaline of you know wanting to 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 be there to to help people as cliche as that sounds um but I don't want that to be misinterpreted as being a sort of a adrenaline junkie and wanting to, you know, be in in, in a war zone. Nobody wants to be in a war zone. It's it's a quite a terrifying experience, frankly, at times. Um, so, you know, I, I think just the the, the work that I'd done previously in Libya it just opened me up to seeing the set of problems that a, a population that's not the UK population seeing. Their daily struggles and the problems and the profile of uh, trauma that they're exposed to and that they experience is very different to, to what's experienced here. And that's nobody's fault. That, that's just a fact of life. And um, I think every time I go out and do that kind of work, I think it probably makes me a bit more grateful, a bit more grounded as a person. You were
0: obviously a lot better prepared for the trip to Mosul than you were the first yeah. time around yeah um, a bit more experience it, maybe as well yeah, yeah yeah was it um was it a very different experience because of that yeah yeah I think
1: I'd done when I went out there it's probably my fourth year of surgical training um and so yeah I'd been doing some independent operating and uh, I was sort of um manifesto, if you like, or our target was not to always give the definitive treatment to patients. We were there to preserve life and preserve limb. We were there to sort of stabilize patients who had just been injured and then to transfer them once they've been stabilized to a more definitive center who could provide their ultimate care. And so it was what we call sort of damage control or stabilization. Um, And so, yeah, I felt that I was quite well prepared for that.
0: And currently, are you are you training people? Um, you're training other doctors on on the courses you've been on. Are you on the David Knott yeah. courses?
1: Yeah. So the David Knott Foundation um, is, you know, as the name suggests, it's it's run by um, David Knott and and his experiences, and it's it's run by him and Ellie, his wife. And um, their mission is to train the greatest number of of surgeons to be able to provide life and limb saving surgery in resource poor environments. And so um, I've been working with them since 2017, since I went on the course and then came back from Mosul. I've, you know, been grateful to be invited back as faculty. And so we uh, run the training courses about twice a year um, in the UK and we have surgeons from the UK as well as surgeons who come from different countries who um, have worked with David uh, before and uh more recently the the david Knock course or the the stake course which is the surgical training and austere environment um they have been going out to countries to develop to to deliver the training sorry on the ground um locally um because logistically i think bringing trained training bringing surgeons to the uk to be trained um logistically was uh, challenging sometimes and so building that capacity on the ground and developing trainers in in those respective countries, um, I think was quite a, an attractive thing to do. So I've been out twice, um, this year, um, in, I think it was March, uh, we went to the South of Turkey, um, to train Syrian surgeons. So we were on the Turkish Syrian border in the South of Turkey. Um, and we ran a one week course there. And then I've also been out, um, in July to, um, to the West bank in Palestine. Yeah. It's a, it's a great program and uh, it's a phenomenal organization with lots of great people and, um, it's allowed me to continue doing what I do here, but also to be able to help to upskill, um, other surgeons, um, in different countries to develop other trainers and maintain
0: my interest in this field as well. So in terms of your future plans, are you thinking you, you want to keep up the training, and going out there and and training surgeons or. Are you going to go out and do um, another stint in the field kind of thing in the future?
1: Well, I'd like, I'd like to do both if time allows. Um, like i say I think um, it's important to have a balance in life, and um, I say I'd probably think about things a bit more carefully now than maybe I did when I was 24 or 25. Um, so my ultimate goal is to. Well I'm just coming well I've completed my surgical training. I'm currently doing a, a fellowship at the moment um, in hip and knee surgery. And um, my ultimate goal is to be a consultant in the NHS. Being able to go out there and to be able to do those things um, really depends on the collaboration or the um, relationship you have with your own department. Um, and it's hev- heavily reliant, I think, on colleagues as well. David talks about this a lot and the work he's done for the last 30 years um, he always says he never would have been able to do any of it if it wasn't for his colleagues and they are owed just as much uh, recognition as he is out there and, and they're doing their part by being able to cover him and, and help him to be able to take the time off as he is actually
0: physically going out there. It's, um, it's brilliant, Merz. I think you're actually incredibly modest about the work that you do And the impact that you have so it's a real honor to to speak to you and and thank you so much for taking the time to to join me and and tell me more about your experiences not at all you've been listening to my lead story a podcast series brought to you by the advancement team at the university of leeds for more stories about our global leeds alumni community follow us on social media at leeds alumni or if you have a story that you'd like to share email alumni at leeds.ac.uk